0: And you're on right now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo 5 Radio Network. Coming to you from the shores of the Indian River on Florida's beautiful Treasure Coast and bringing you the news behind the news, the story behind the story. We're streaming live on iHeartRadio and available as a podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Spreaker, and Spotify. You can follow me on Twitter at right now, Jim Dawes. I love to hear listeners shoot me an email the address is right now jimdaws at gmail.com or you can call the vent line and leave a voicemail at 772-245-0750 that's 772-245-0750 Well, this coronavirus issue has uh, has has gotten even more dire since uh, last, uh, last Friday's show with several governors throughout the uh, country closing all bars and restaurants in their state. That's going to have an absolutely devastating impact for a large segment of the economy. And, of course, we've, uh, we've had uh, Joe Biden's town hall, which was a disaster. We're going to cover that. We had Joe and Bernie... Up there uh at their debate, it looked like uh, two old men and they uh an old folks uh lobby arguing with each other but uh we're gonna we're gonna debate how serious this really is and how serious we should take it um There's no doubt that a large part of this is being driven by the media and um really, can you think of any time? In recent history, at least in the last four years, uh, the media have, have made any situation better. Uh, they're still uh, trying to politicize this, second-guessing the president, uh, really not getting all on board uh, a a complete response. They're trying to denigrate and diminish this administration's response, which by all measures appears to be the most comprehensive, uh, proactive, and effective response to any sort of viral outbreak uh in it, that I can remember that I've ever seen we're going to be joined in the second half of today's show by Doug Weed he's author of Inside Trump's White House the first authorized telling of exactly what's been going on inside the White House for the first 3 years of the administration and you're going to want to listen to that but the great coronavirus war is upon us and uh you know I've been advising for some weeks to prepare for the panic uh, around this issue and that panic is upon us. We now have uh, empty store shelves and, uh, and people, uh, beginning to fight inside grocery stores for, uh, for limited amounts of, of food. So, uh, you know, if you haven't taken my advice and put in uh, some stores of food to take you through this, I would advise you to wait until, um, overnight at a 24-hour Walmart or grocery store uh, when they're stocking shelves and uh, and go in there and uh, and buy as much uh uh dry goods food to uh, to last you for at least a month so you know um We've, we've had a lot of debate on this show and on social media about, you know, the seriousness of this, this crisis uh, as far as a health crisis. I think we're past the point of that really mattering now. We do see that the the vast majority of the uh, fatalities from the coronavirus have been in the elderly community. Uh, in the United States, we're up to about 60 deaths, and about half of those have been from one a nursing home in uh, the Seattle area. But as I say, it really doesn't matter at this point, uh, because this thing has taken on a life of its own. It's going to have severe economic impacts. It's going to have impacts on you and your family. So um, the response, your response uh, is, is sort of uh, baked in the cake. Now you have to take every precaution to make sure you or your loved ones are not infected. You have to uh, take extra care for elderly members of your family or anybody with a, a compromised immune system, and you have to be prepared to spend um, uh, until further notice in your home. And that means having the food and the stocks and and uh, being prepared to do that. But uh, over the weekend, the military banned domestic travel by all of its uh, its service personnel and defense civilian workers domestic travel and uh, that's uh, that really should be on your radar screen because that appears to be where this is headed so if you've got family especially ones that are not able to work or that are able to work uh by phone uh now would be the time to try to get them all close around you so that uh, you can face this this challenge uh together but i want to talk a little bit about uh about biden and bernie You know, Joe Biden had a press conference last week and it was a it was a disaster. I I reported on it on Friday that it uh, it was about an hour late because they couldn't work out a hum in his microphone. Took him over an hour. Now, that's that's not a complicated issue. You've got a mixing board, a cable and a microphone. One of those three uh, components is is producing that hum, but they couldn't work it out. So you would have thought that that would have uh, no, put him on notice that you've got some issues there in your audiovisual program. He's up there claiming that he's going to coordinate our response to the coronavirus, and he can't manage to put on a press conference. Well, over the weekend, he had a a, a virtual town hall. He's not allowed to have um, real town halls anymore. So he held a virtual town hall in Illinois. And oh, my God, it was it made the press conference look like uh, uh, look like smooth sailing. This town hall was an absolute disaster. I'll play you. uh, This is what Biden sounded like for most of this town hall. It went on for about five minutes. He only ended up being able to answer one question for the longest period of the five minutes. This is what it sounded like.
1: Five,
2: six, five. I'm sorry if you the, of the for it's incredible. It's incredible.
0: It was totally unintelligible. You couldn't understand it. He, he he ended up being able to answer one question. They finally got the technical issues worked out. He answered a question about the Endangered Species Act, and halfway through the question, he appeared to forget what the format was and he was talking into his phone and he just wandered off camera and <laughs> while he continued to answer the question and then then the screen cut to a, a biden for president logo and then they uh they wrapped it up with him apologizing you know that the the whole thing had been a uh a, a mess let's see if i can is this the clip of him actually answering the question? Being a public option, providing for the... Oh, no, this is a, this is a clip from the actual press conference that I mentioned when he he forgets uh, when he is going to be president if he were elected.
2: Being a public option, providing for the additional funding that would provide for no hidden bills, etc. And I can get it done, I can get it done quickly, and people will be covered. But even I can't do that for another two year, another a year between now and November or actually January for to be covered.
0: <laughs> so Joe Biden, he uh, he can't run a news conference. He can't run a, a, a social media town hall. He can't he can't stream live. He can't do a Periscope or a, a Facebook live. But he is going to be the savior and coordinate all of the government agencies in a response to a major crisis. If you want to just see how futile and uh and embarrassing this town hall was, he actually posted uh, part of it on Facebook and uh, you can go over there and take a look. It was a complete disaster and then so uh, uh last night, Sunday evening, Joe Biden and Bernie had the big showdown at the empty OK Corral. There was no audience. They had Jake Tapper and one of the other C- uh, CNN news babes uh, up there and then um a reporter from Univision that uh, that that didn't uh well that spoke the language with a very thick uh hispanic accent and i thought well that's that's where we are in this country we're having to answer questions to uh to uh, in our presidential campaigns to uh foreign reporters but uh, it was also kind of a disaster for these old guys. They, uh, they couldn't keep their story straight. At one point, in response to the coronavirus, both of them got confused on what exactly crisis we are in currently. The Ebola crisis,
2: in my view. We've been through this before with the coronavirus. We've been through this before, I mean, excuse me, we've been through this before with uh, dealing with the viruses that the N1H1, as well as what happened in Africa as a result. Result of Ebola? As a result, keep talking about Ebola. You got Ebola in my head here right now. As a consequence of this SARS, uh, of this particular crisis.
0: <laughs> so, in just a short period of time, they called it Ebola. They called it SARS. They called it what do you say? N one H 15 You know, this is the kind of gaffe or mistake that if Donald Trump ever did it, it would be front page news. Donald Trump is losing his mind. He can't He can't figure out where he is or what he's doing. <laughs> At one time, uh, after making all these gaffes, Bernie says this.
1: First thing we have got to do, whether or not I'm president, is to shut this president up right now. Because he is undermining the doctors and the scientists who are trying to help the Americans.
0: So this is Bernie Sanders saying, whether I become president or not, what we got to do is shut this president up. This is the same guy who inspired... James T. Hodgkinson, to take an AK-47 to that um, congressional baseball practice and attempt mass murder, and now Bernie Sanders saying this.
1: Whether or not I'm president is to shut this president up right
0: now. Now, how does he propose shutting this president up? You know, that's sending a strong signal out to his uh, his radical Marxist revolutionary Bernie bros. So Biden went on and, and he uh, he was talking about what he would do on his first day in office to address the coronavirus. And he said this.
2: We're at war with the virus. It has nothing to do with copays or anything. We just passed a law saying that you do not have to pay for any.
0: So he said he just passed a law. What he did, in fact, was come out with a position paper. But he confused confused with taking a position on a topic with passing a law. I mean, it was a a really futile effort on both of these old guys' part. Uh, Both of them looked like prime candidates for the coronavirus, sadly. And at one point, the debate, because of the Univision moderator that was on the panel, strayed into the topic of illegal aliens taking jobs, and here's what old Joe Biden had to say about it.
3: I'd like to quickly follow up with uh, Senator Biden. Uh, do you believe...
0: Well, no. This... Where is it? Biden... Here we go.
2: He went on the Lou Dobbs show and, con- and continued to canard that they're taking jobs. These immigrants are taking jobs from Americans, which is one of the Republican canards.
0: you knowingly hired, knowingly... So in the debate... Biden says it's a Republican canard that illegal aliens are taking jobs. Well, it wasn't that long ago, the last time Biden was running for president, I think it was in 2007, he was running against Barack Obama, that he said this with regard to illegal aliens taking jobs.
1: I'd like to
3: quickly follow up with uh, Senator Biden. Uh, Do you believe that, uh, as Anho suggested, we're talking about jobs that Americans won't do? That's often
2: used as a conversation point in this debate over immigration. Let's get straight. Americans will do any job if you pay them properly. You know, the fact of the matter is that doesn't mean that doesn't mean we don't need guest workers. We do. That doesn't mean we don't need. But we should base base. The number of guest workers that are in the statute that we're trying to pass and we tried to pass before, compared to immigration reform, based upon need, not on an absolute number. And we should require employers to offer those jobs to citizens to see if they want those jobs. Case in point, you had um, uh, Swift uh, um, uh, Swift Meats down in North Carolina. INS came in, 800 people took off. The fact of the matter is they had to go out and hire people. Guess what? They had to double the the, the wage and provide health insurance they got all the north carolina
0: north carolinians they want whole sectors of our economy have been taken over by illegal alien labor joe biden went on national tv last night and claimed that illegal aliens don't take jobs it's a canard a republican canard he says it's unbelievable how joe biden has completely collapsed On all of his previous positions, he used to support a wall. He used to be opposed to sanctuary cities. He used to uh, admit that, yes, we have a major problem in this country with the 11,000 resident illegal aliens taking American jobs and driving down their wages. But now, because he wants to be elected president and he has to cater to the Hispanic lobby inside the Democrat Party, he just pretends that reality doesn't exist. Bernie Sanders in the same debate said this with regard to uh, illegal aliens being covered by government sponsored health care.
1: The proposal for Medicare for All that I introduced includes making sure that undocumented people are also covered.
0: <laughs> so, taxpayer funded health care for illegal aliens. He's highlighting that at a time when we're about to have a major challenge to our health care system. They're saying that we're not going to have the capacity in ICU rooms or other things to address the population of this country now. But he wants to put a giant magnet out there to attract a, basically an unlimited number of foreigners to come here to take responsibility of American health care at our taxpayers' expense. Now, if you were sitting in Central America or South America or Mexico and you had cancer or another major health uh, um, challenge, wouldn't you do anything in your power to come to the United States and uh, enjoy the best health care system in the world on taxpayers' expense? I mean, these are not serious people. Every one of the Democrat candidates said that, that uh, one of those debates, I think they had ten of them on stage all raised their hand, and including Joe Biden, that government-funded health care would cover illegal aliens, But the moderators and, uh, and Joe and Bernie spent most of the evening attacking the president uh, for this coronavirus outbreak, and uh, as I said at the top of the show, I, I don't really think there's any question that this is the most comprehensive, effective, and proactive response to a viral outbreak in our history. It has been fast. While the Democrats were focused on impeachment and the news media was, uh, was covering that full-time, this president saw on the horizon that uh, there was a major pandemic beginning in China and closed uh, the uh, travel from the affected regions, well, actually all of China. And he's been uh, taking steps to prepare us ever since. And if you've watched any of these press conferences held by uh, Mike Pence, where he brings all of the heads of the agencies up there and and briefs the press every day, you can see that this is um, this is um, something that you're not used to seeing out of government. This is more of a a business approach to this where they are uh, they're really coordinating and being proactive and I just want to you know I want to say thank you to these people that are apparently working um, long long days because uh, can you imagine you have to take time out of your day every day to come out there and brief the press then you got to go back try to implement these policies and then come back the next day and update them again And, and it has continued to improve on a daily basis. While you've got Adam Schiff, the guy that was leading the impeachment frenzy that that distracted so much of the media's and the, the uh, political establishment's attention during the beginning of this crisis, going on TV saying things like this.
3: Uh, and time is very precious. Uh, there were a lot of things I wish I had heard in
1: the president's speech today and some that I did hear that really concerned me Because when you have a major
0: health crisis like this, incompetence kills. Time is of the essence, he says. The time that was of the essence, Adam Schiff and the Democrats in Congress were spending in an impeachment frenzy. If you want to really know how effective this policy uh, or this uh, response has been, you can look to Democrat California Governor Gavin Newsom. I played a clip for you last week saying the response that he has had has been nothing short of comprehensive and complete. And then over the weekend, we had New York governor Mario Como, who is a, uh, of, an avowed enemy of this president going on to say that, uh, their response has been quick and complete and that, uh, he wanted to thank the president and the vice president. You know, one of the things that uh, has amazed me is how uh, Trump is sort of a, a shaping reality. And a lot of the things that he has said that have been decried, he originally said, well, he thinks the infection rate is much higher than what they're saying and that he thinks the mortality rate is much lower than what they're saying. He was right on both of those points after being accused of putting out disinformation, It turns out that he was exactly right. A lot more people are infected than uh, than previously believed. And a lot more people, or a lot fewer people, I should say, are dying from the disease. They were saying at the time that the mortality rate was 3.5%. Now we know from the experts that it is closer to 1, um, 1%, one percent, and that uh, those affected are overwhelmingly uh, elderly. One of the interesting things to come out of um, Trump's press conference last week the one where he is wearing his usa baseball cap was he basically jawboned jerome powell the head of the federal reserve into uh, uh knocking down interest rates and and well i'll just play you this clip this is uh, trump at a press conference i think this was on friday after our show talking about the fed's response to the crisis
3: So far, made a lot of bad decisions, in my opinion. We had this great, and we will soon have again, because I think you're going to have a tremendous bounce when this is over. I think there's a pent-up bounce that's going to be tremendous. I think you saw that yesterday with the stock market. Now, I'm not happy with the Fed because I think that they're following, not leading. We should be leading. I'm not happy because if you look at the central banks of other, you know, other central banks, uh, largely they're lower than us, their rate. And their equivalent of the Fed rate is lower, in some cases, by two points. In some cases, that's a lot. In some cases, very substantially. And I thought that the Fed would be and should be much more proactive as opposed to following. Our Fed is following. We shouldn't have a Fed rate that's higher than our competitor nations. You look at Germany, they're essentially uh, under zero. They're negative. There are many countries negative. Japan is negative. Germany is negative. Others are negative. Uh, and we're paying higher interest rates and what I'd like to do is frankly refinance our debt. I, we could refinance our debt very easily at a much lower rate. We have, a, we have some tremendous opportunities right now but Jerome Powell is not making it easy. No, I have the right to remove. Uh, I'm not doing that. No, I'm not doing that. I have the right to, right to also take him and put him in a regular position and put somebody else in charge and I haven't made any decisions on that.
0: So here's the significance of that. Uh, Donald Trump uh, and he talked about this during the campaign if we were paying the same rates that Germany and Japan are paying which they've uh, they've ventured into the negative uh returns on uh on T bills or or um government loans I should say in our case it's T bills if he turns that from a uh a, a positive rate to a negative rate suddenly our 22 trillion dollar national debt goes from uh a uh A liability on our balance sheet to an asset on our balance sheet, we would actually uh, start to make money off of that $22 trillion national debt. And of course you could roll those, uh, those profits into servicing that debt and snowball it and get it paid off. I mean, I did, I actually didn't know that you could lock in the, uh, refinance and lock in those rates on the national debt. That would be a huge game changer in regard to this disastrous $22 trillion national debt that we've run on. It would, it would, overnight, if you could lock that in, somebody send me an email and let me know if, if you know whether or not we can, in fact, lock that in. That national debt would go from a net negative to a net positive on our balance sheet we got to run out to a break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Doug Weed, author of Inside Trump's White House, an inside authorized look at the first three years of the Trump presidency. You know, we've heard a lot of uh, books from, from, the, from the swamp creatures. Now we're going to hear from someone who is actually inside and authorized to speak. Right after these messages on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. and you're back on right now with jim dawes on the mojo 5 radio network your daily journal of news politics and culture from an america first perspective Well, a sort of cottage industry has sprung up with former White House staffers and never-Trump moles writing unauthorized tell-all books designed to feed the left-wing media smear machine against this president. But my next guest has written the first and only authorized account of the early days of this administration. Doug Weed is author of Inside Trump's White House, The Real Story of His Presidency, which is available now in stores and on Amazon and also at Walmart.com. Mr. Weed is a presidential historian, New York Times best-selling author, and former advisor to two American presidents, and his books are known for using primary sources as opposed to rumor and gossip. He's interviewed six American presidents and seven first ladies, and we're glad now to welcome him to this show. Doug, thanks for joining us.
1: Hey, thank you for having me.
0: So we've been treated to these uh, tell-all books from Amorosa and uh, the, you know, the Despicable Michael Wolfe, and uh, and now this um, mysterious anonymous. So I guess I would just start by asking you, sort of an obvious question: How is your book different?
1: Well, I go to primary sources. I mean, uh, history. I read history, and uh, I'm not much interested, in what to say. I I want people who can actually meet the people they're writing about and talking about. And so I sat down with Ivanka Trump. I said, you know, in a 100 years, when you're gone, your kids are gone, uh, and the, the history starts to write this story, you're going to be portrayed very cruelly like the Borgias or the Medicis or very grandly like the Kennedys or the Rockefellers. It depends on what the primary sources say and i would like to record those primary sources
0: i just think there's a real hunger for this book the the story of trump's rise to the presidency is uh, a, an american success story on steroids you know he was a a <laughs> mega developer who um, you know developed a uh, an empire of uh, fabulous properties all over the world then he became, a, you know, a brand and then a, a reality TV show star. And then on his very first run for public office, vanquished a huge field of, uh, you know, professional politicians in both parties to become president and, and go to Washington. And I'm sort of always uh, puzzled that the reaction to him has been so violent and hostile uh, from the legacy media.
1: Yeah, well there's a reason for that and it's money. Uh, you know, I worked for years in the Republican establishment, but it doesn't matter whether it's the Democratic establishment or Republican establishment. The name of the game is, is to work with special interests, to create regulations, and to make those regulations so big and so onerous that there can be no competition. So you can devi the session hits. Republican or Democrats in power, it doesn't matter. They pass a stimulus bill, which is a thousand pages or sometimes 20,000 pages long. And the stimulus bill exempts those monopolies from the very regulations that were passed that kept you out. And there's one more wrinkle they're multinational, American, they have their deals with China, and Donald Trump. Is upsetting the table. He's breaking the dishes. Uh, he's running the 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 nice thing they got going in the so-called swamp. And so they hate him. And they're the ones that own television networks. They own uh, they do the advertising that pay the bills and the salaries of the people on television. They donate to the think tanks and provide the money for the grants that are written. So the pundits get on TV and mouth what they're told to say. So, of course, they hate Donald Trump.
0: Hey, Doug, we've got a little bit of an unstable line. If you're able to uh, get next to a window, I know you're on a, uh, a book tour and uh, living out of a suitcase, but uh, if you can uh, get to a better cell, that would be great. Um, All
1: right. I'll see how we're doing now.
0: Oh, much better. So, um, right. you know, the, the ironic thing about this presidency is we've enjoyed sort of an unprecedented period of uh, peace and prosperity, and yet, um, in in the heartland, it's recognized. And yet, on the coasts, and in these uh, these newsrooms that uh, in the cable TVs and the network TV stations, they're just uh, obsessed with this anti-Trump fever uh, that doesn't seem like it's going to break anytime soon. What would you consider uh, the greatest accomplishment so far of the Trump presidency?
1: Yeah, Jim, I think they recognize it. They just, it's what I said earlier, maybe it didn't come through good with the mic, but they're, they're, the big companies, the monopolies are making money. They don't want it to be true, but the gold standard for a president is peace and prosperity. That's it. This is the first president in 40 years who hadn't started a war somewhere. It was Bosnia or Libya or Grenada or Panama or invaded somebody. So that's amazing. The economy is everything that the social engineers, the 60s, Hubert Humphrey, LBJ, everything they ever wanted for the poorest of the poor in American society has come true under Donald Trump. We have 7 million unfilled jobs. That's the population of the state of Indiana. We have 6 million people that have gone off food stamps. This is a great presidency by any measure.
0: These Democrat candidates don't seem to recognize that the way you create rising wages is, uh, is by creating jobs and competition in the labor markets. And, uh, and you've got, uh, you know, just uh, uh, such a contrast with these, uh, these candidates, Democrat candidates that are preaching socialism and sort of this uh, Marxism light at the same time, uh, when finally wages are starting to increase and the, the job market starting to tighten, at the same time, we're enjoying unprecedented uh, levels, uh, you know, in the stock market, uh, recharging everybody's retirement funds. And um, that was a little bit of a uh, getting on my high horse, but I, I guess I'd ask you, you know, we we always hear from like these books by Michael Wolff and Amarosa and such that uh, the Trump White House is a chaotic and poorly organized operation. Was that in your, your impression, writing from inside the White House?
1: Yes and no. I, I would call it calculated chaos. You know, Sun Tzu wrote many thousands of years ago that out of chaos comes opportunity. And a uh, good example of that is NATO. When Trump got in there, he just blew up NATO. He's, what's this? You know, we're spending all this money. They, they've lied to us. They said they would pay a certain percentage of their GDP. They're not doing it. So the media went crazy. They said he's threatening our. This is a. This is our most important uh, treaty in association. The Pentagon, the generals came in and sat with him and said, these are our friends, sir. They're our friends. He said, well, if they're our friends, why are we paying for high-speed railways for them and building new airports and paying for their education while our own middle class are descending into poverty? If they're our friends, why do they sign a treaty and then make us pay for it? So he blew the whole thing up, Jim, but he rebuilt it. And today he's met with NATO yesterday and today he's raised $100 billion for NATO and 40 billion of that brand new money that they've brought in because they heard his complaint. And I just ask you one question. If one of these Democrats is elected president, you think they're going to refund that money? You think they're going to give back $100 billion to Germany and France of money that they had promised to pay? Not on your life. So, yes, uh, there is chaos, uh, but out of the chaos has come these programs, these many programs that have brought us peace and prosperity.
0: I have always been impressed by what a contrast it is by uh, how the uh, the foreign policy and national defense elites are beating this war to restart a cold war with Russia. At the same time, you've got communist China, still communist China, uh, fomenting uh, despotism throughout the world and literally killing tens of thousands of Americans with their, you know, by flooding uh, the United States with fentanyl. And yet they, they seem, everybody except for Trump and this administration, seem largely unconcerned about the, the uh, rising and really uh, deadly threat that China poses while they continue to try to beat a drum for a new Cold War with Russia.
1: Yeah, it's very interesting. Well, it's because Russia is no longer anti-Christian. There's probably more religious freedom in Russia than there is in the United States, certainly in schools, for example. The income tax rate in Russia is 18%. There's no question it's a dictatorship, but you're right. In China, they're herding people into concentration camps if they're Muslim, and Christians are losing their property and there's no right to vote, and I'll tell you another conundrum a puzzle, and that's how you've got Bernie Sanders defending Venezuela. So on the one hand, he calls Donald Trump a Russian spy. On the other hand, he's defending the socialist government of Venezuela that uses Russian troops on the ground as his bodyguards to protect him, and has TU-95 Uh, Russian uh, jets capable of carrying nuclear weapons and Trump's trying to get that overturned and Bernie Sanders is fighting him on it. So who's the Russian spy? That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, I get the feeling that our uh, foreign policy and national defense elites uh, would like to restart this cold war so that they can, you know, uh, attend these cocktail parties in the capitals of Europe while they're turning a blind eye to the fact that, um, you know, uh, Cuba, Uh, is fomenting revolution right here in in our hemisphere uh they've pretty much destroyed the once prosperous nation of venezuela and now they're they're starting to to uh, attack uh uh chile as well and yet um they don't they don't seem concerned about that whatsoever
1: yeah well they have have their reasons for that it's uh fascinating to me uh i sat down with uh, the president president trump and i went through all of the world leaders one by one by one <laughs> you know today he's meeting emmanuel macron oh said, that was beautiful
0: that, that interview was beautiful <laughs> uh macron's sitting there <laughs> yeah. saying you know how we've got to continue to wipe out isis I, last i looked france, france didn't have any sort of major presence uh in any of the uh nations where isis held, held its caliphate and they're refusing to take yeah. back uh the foreign fighters that came from France to join ISIS. Yeah yeah the, pro- the problem with Donald Trump is he's got too much common sense
1: <laughs> when he came in there the first day I describe in my book the first day in the White House and he wanted to do everything he wanted to destroy ISIS he wanted to turn around the thing with China he wanted to turn around the economy and he wanted to bring home the hostage he was hostages he was just horrified that America had all of these hostages held by foreign governments and for 16 years under a democrat and republican president the government was silent and would not allow anybody to talk about it in the media or even the families of these hostages because he said that the policy of american policies was that will increase the value of the hostages and cause more to be taken. So Trump turned that around. He's brought 22 hostages home, and he uses the power of the American economy to throttle any nation that will hang on to an American and torture them and keep them as a prisoner.
0: And is not shy at all about uh, telling them exactly what the consequences for taking American hostages will be. You know, I remember um, in the late days of the Obama administration, his national security regime was telling us that uh, fighting the islamic caliphate the isis caliphate was going to be a generational war that would take at least 20 years and uh trump you know took the the reins off of the generals and uh, and they mopped up that caliphate in what about six months
1: yeah you know i've got a whole chapter on that there's so much they did that has not been made public it's just Utterly fascinating. You're right. Obama's plan and his idea was to degrade ISIS and to try to stop ISIS from recruiting by being nice to terrorists. So they could not use the word in the U.S. government. You couldn't use the word, as you know, Islamic terrorists. Uh, he, he sat down with an interview with Nicholas Christoph and said, the Muslim call the prayer at sunset is the prettiest sound on earth. And mm. he lectured the Christians at the National Prayer Breakfast and, and said, you committed these same crimes during the Crusades, which were 800 years ago. <laughs> and mm. so that was his approach. He thought if we're real nice, to these Muslim extremists they won't recruit as many that was their plan for uh ending ISIS
0: <laughs> hey Doug we need to take a, a real quick break if you've got time to right. stick with us I'd love to uh, to bring you back after this uh, brief commercial message I'll stick with you thank stand,
1: you stand by mojo
3: and business licenses, even garnish your wages, freeze your bank accounts and go after your spouse. Solve all your income tax problems permanently and keep more of your hard-earned money. Make this 100% guaranteed risk-free call right now. 800-631-9241 800-631-9241 800-631-9241 That's 800-631-9241 Mojo.
0: And we're back talking with Doug Weed, author of the Inside Trump's White House, the Real Story of His Presidency, available now in stores and on Amazon and also at walmart.com. And uh, as we went out to break, we were just talking about uh, uh, Doug's access uh, to uh, the the main sources inside the White House. He interviewed the president and his children you know Doug, I've always thought that uh, one of the best ways of judging a man is by looking at his uh, his children and uh, and despite the fact that this uh, the, you know this family has been so unfairly maligned, you would have to say that each and every one of uh, uh, doug or um, uh, Donald Trump's children are impressive individuals. Tell us a little bit about your discussions with them.
1: Yeah, it's just fascinating to me. Uh, they're, they're very positive. They remain positive. Uh, Ivanka says, I refuse to be bitter. I will not be bitter. She said, I can't function unless I'm happy. So I choose to be happy. That was very impressive to me. Our kids talk about that <laughs> from time to time. When something happens in the house, we'll say, remember, Ivanka, happiness isn't circumstances. It's a choice. It's a choice. Oh, choose to be happy. They're fascinating. I'm surprised. In most families, there's a sloppy one and a neat one and a smart one and a dumb one and a rich one and a poor one. But in the Trump family, every every one of the sons or daughters is just dynamic and great personalities, uh, like their father. They have these great personalities and sense of humor, and (laughs) so I was deeply impressed. Their stories are just wonderful. The, The best stories about the president and the first lady are the ones that come from their kids.
0: <laughs> well, you may have seen Donald Trump out there on the book circuit. He's got a, a New York times bestseller as well. And, uh, just listening to him talk, I see a lot of, uh, uh his father in him. And, um, there's, there's a lot of talk about, you know, possibly him one day, uh, uh, taking his father's place in the white house. Did you, uh, did you mention that possibility to junior when you were talking to him?
1: Oh, yeah, we talked about everything. He's a, <laughs> just absolutely a fascinating interview. And Eric Eric gave me a inter- uh, tour of Trump Tower. Eric and Laura, they're, they're absolutely a hoot and wonderful. And Tiffany, I had the only interviews that Tiffany has given since her father was elected president. She's, she has fun stories. Uh, the night they all went to Buckingham Palace. They didn't have a motorcade or anyone to take them there. And so they had these beautiful gowns and tuxedos, the Trump kids. So they rented a a van bus like the kind that takes you to your car, Avis rental car at the airport. <laughs> they rented a, this bus, and they all piled in in their tuxedos and gowns and said to the driver, take us to Buckingham Palace.
0: <laughs> did, you, uh, did you talk with the kids about uh, all of this criticism that they've suffered for uh, nepotism inside the White House? I guess I'm referring specifically to Ivanka and Jared Kushner and, uh, and whether they think that that's a, a fair criticism.
1: Yeah, that's actually how I met them. Uh, when uh, Donald Trump was first elected president, he wanted to appoint them to office. And there was huge criticism in the New York Times and everywhere saying this was unprecedented. And so I was called because I'm uh, an authority on presidential children. I wrote the book, All the President's Children. They interviewed 20-some of the president's children. So I said, no, that's not true, Uh uh, as a matter of fact, if Ivanka Trump's appointed to the White House, she'll be the 19th son or daughter of a president to actually serve on the White House staff with the president, beginning with the very first president, John Adams, who had biological children. Washington had uh, stepchildren. And John Adams appointed his son, John Quincy Adams, as minister to Prussia. So it's very common and it, 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 there's nothing wrong with it at all. When you're president, you want people who are loyal. And, and it's not like they're paying.
0: members of the civil service. You know, these are these these are part of the presidential staff. I think they're all working without pay as well. And the res, right. the resentment right. and the historical illiteracy of of uh, the media that criticize them for this is kind of stunning. I think Melania. Yeah, Trump's that's
1: good. That's the way you put it. That's really good, Jim. You're right.
0: I think uh, Melania has been badly maligned as well. You know, she came from the fashion industry, and uh, and she uh, creates beauty and and order wherever she goes. She's been an outstanding first lady by any accounts. Sort of reminds me of the the way they treated Nancy Reagan. There was nothing um, Nancy or Melania could do to ingratiate themselves to the the left wing media.
1: She's so gracious. And think of this. This is how outrageous. Imagine this. A New York Times reporter accused her of being a prostitute. He apologized later, uh, but he was never fired. Isn't that stunning? That's just amazing to me. But Melania is so precious. She's so gracious. Uh, She's so beautiful. She's so smart and talented. Uh, And it's funny, sometimes at night, uh, when the media is attacking her for no other reason than just pure jealousy, uh, the president will tease her. And with puffed-up importance, he'll say, Melania, honey, isn't this great, this adventure I'm taking you on, this first lady? You wouldn't have this without me. And she'll say, oh, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you very
0: much. I remember prior to the election, it was it was being said that uh, she was sort of being drug-kicking and screaming into this, uh, this presidential adventure. Uh, do you have any insights on whether or not that was true? Well,
1: she knew it all along that he would win, as you've heard. And the kids reiterated that in the Mar-a-Lago meeting and the Bedminster meeting, which I described in detail, uh, the night of the election when they were sure they were going to lose. You know, they, they came to him and they said, well, you know, uh, Mr. Trump, sir, we're, we're going to lose. What are we going to tell the people to Hilton? And Trump said, well, I'm just going to go downstairs about on Fifth Avenue. I'm going to say I tried my best. You know, I I'm a patriot, and then tomorrow I'm going to get on a plane and go to Ireland and play a game of golf. And uh, Melania spoke up, said, "No, you're going to win. This isn't over. You're
0: going to win." And sure enough, it turned around. And then he came out around midnight, and said, "Sorry for making you wait. Complicated business, this uh, <laughs> presidential election." <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, really? I've got the whole story. If if Hollywood
0: wasn't so deeply obsessed with this, you know, Trump derangement (laughs) syndrome, this would be a a movie uh, for the ages, where you know, truth is is actually more amazing than fiction. You're
1: absolutely right. At one point, Brad Parscale sits down with him and says, sir, you will be elected president. I've got the numbers here, and th- my models are different. They're not counting. I'm counting, for example, people who've never voted before who are coming out just to vote for you. And the president says, well, Brad, you may be right. Maybe, maybe we will win, but if you're wrong, it's okay. It's going to be okay. <laughs> and then Podesta comes out and he gives his speech and Trump is just transfixed, and now it's clear he's going to be president. And he's looking at these Clinton supporters, these young girls who are weeping because Hillary lost. And and he says, look at that. Imagine how they feel, because he knew how they felt. He felt that way himself a couple hours before. And he said, imagine what they're thinking. And Ivanka had to said, come on, Dad, come on, Dad, we've got to go. But he was just uh, transfixed by it. It was a very interesting evening
0: brad Parscale uh strikes me as sort of the donald trump of uh, political operatives he came out of nowhere uh to you know to to take the reins of the uh the uh, social media effort uh for the trump campaign now he's uh, risen to you know the the presidential uh campaign chairman uh with very little experience right out of the heartland and and he is just um He's sort of uh, making fools out of uh, you know, the, the professional uh, political management class, and you combine him with Kellyanne Conway and, and the rest of uh, his, his team, and it's just hard to see anybody on the Democrat horizon that's going to give this guy a run for his money in 2020.
1: Well, yeah, it's very interesting the way you put that. It, it, Donald Trump picks people who like what they do. And he treasures desire over competence. And if somebody really wants to do something, like in my case, I wanted to write a book with primary sources for history. If he sees you really like it and you you enjoy what you're doing, he believes you'll be good at it. And he treasures that desire over competence. And that's, that's what drove him to uh, hire Brad Parscale.
0: Well, let's talk about that a little bit. How did you uh, get this plum job of being the first and only, uh, authorized presidential biographer from Donald Trump. Who's got every reason to distrust you. Uh, I think you had, uh, previously worked for George W. Bush and I don't think the Bushes are, uh, you know, at this point, any big fans of Donald Trump. How did, how did you manage to snag this job?
1: Yeah. And they're not big fans of me either. Some of them, <laughs> some of them like <laughs> me, some of them don't. Well, he, he uh, uh I wanted it and I wanted to write it. And uh, I think they batted it around for about a year before they made a decision. Uh, and the president just in a in a moment he 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 told me that I asked him myself, why did you let me do this? He said that Michael Beschloss, the great presidential historian, uh came down to Mar-a-Lago right after he won and He said he kissed my, you know what, for a week, but I just had no chemistry. I've got chemistry with you. So that's how he he defined it. Uh, But uh, he he could tell that it was something that I wanted to do. And just in a moment, he said, okay, we're going to let you voice record me. I'm going to give you anybody you want to talk to. It's wide open. You can go anywhere you want to go and you're going to write the story. And uh, so that was quite an opportunity. And I wanted to know everything. I wanted to know what they watch on Netflix, how they raid the refrigerator in the middle of the night at the White House, and how they keep in touch with each other, where they were when the Mueller report came down. I wanted everything.
0: Well, I've just started reading your uh, 375-page book. It is uh, very uh, readable. It's very entertaining. It's written in a very... Um, easy narrative. It's very entertaining. And as I said, I think there's a real hunger for this book and, uh, and I hope you uh, have great luck with it. I look forward to, um, to finishing this book and maybe talking with you again sometime.
1: Thank you, Jim. I appreciate that very much. The president tweeted three times yesterday about it. So I'm grateful for that.
0: It's going to do well. Doug weed is author of the new book. Inside Trump's White House, The Real Story of His Presidency, available now on Amazon and at walmart.com and in finer bookstores everywhere. You can find Doug on Twitter at Doug Weed or go directly to his website at DougWeed.com. Doug, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Jim. Well, that takes us to the end of this edition of Right Now with Jim Dawes. I want to thank you for joining us and invite you back here again tomorrow right here on the Mojo 5 radio network. We'll talk to you then.